Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. I'm Aaron Schweitzer, publisher of The Source. I am joined by Nicole Vulcan, our editor. We are powered by The Source Weekly, Ben's locally owned newspaper, celebrating this week our 25th anniversary. We are glad that you're taking some time, some of your time, to listen to us rap with some of the people who shape our local community. One of those shapers is Andrea Bro. She is the transportation director for Cascade East Transit. The program provides fixed route and dial-a-ride bus services, as well as recreational shuttles and non-emergency medical transport for the region. She has 18 years of transit, parking, and fleet management experience, mainly from campus operations. She worked at two universities prior to working at CET. She's also an avid bike commuter for 18 years. Andrea, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you uh, added that maybe, last little bit to our ear bio. It just warms my heart. Yeah, Nicole is an avid commuter as well. She she <laughs> shares your passion. Yeah, excellent. Uh, can you give us a little lay of the land of the various types of transit services people in our region can take advantage of? Absolutely. So as you mentioned, we provide a spectrum of services all the way from rural dial-a-ride operations, let's say in Prineville and in Madras, um, all the way up to fixed route operations here in the city of Bend. We also provide regional connectivity to all of these um, cities throughout Central Oregon. Uh, we also provide a required ADA paratransit services for the city of Bend as well. Um, as you mentioned, recreational services are a huge um, area uh, for us to serve because it helps reduce congestion in, in the seasonal effects here in Central Oregon. Right now, we are operating the Ride the River service. It's really popular along Deschutes River where we drop folks off, they float down the river and we pick them up. And what that eliminates is the need to drive two cars. Um, so the park and float, which is a park and ride lot in conjunction with Ben Parks and Rack and us, as well as Temelo Creek and Kayak, uh, allows us to uh, serve the community, reduce the congestion, and people really enjoy it. We also do uh, service up to Lava Butte. Um, and so that butte just south of Bend gets a lot of wear and tear with normal mm -hmm. passenger vehicles. Through the summer, they shut that down. And so for people who may not be able to hike the butte but would love to see those views, we actually just go up and down that butte all day long, seven days a week up until Labor Day weekend. And then the last piece is we have what's called a brokerage service, and that's what we call our non-emergency medical transport. And those that may be on Medicaid or various health plans through the state of Oregon, we provide subsidized transit to, let's say, dialysis, physical therapy, um, chemotherapy treatments, et cetera. Um, so the whole gamut of if you need to get there, we will have the service for you. Awesome. Hey. I, uh, sorry, Aaron. Did, were you going to say no, something? No, I didn't say okay. anything. You're up. Yeah. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges in our transit system right now? Sure. So I will say the most immediate and timely is our workforce. Um, up until the pandemic, we did very well with driver recruitment. We had a plethora of individuals that had their CDL and various endorsements license. Um, the pandemic hit. We just had a slight reduction in service because we were still what we considered an essential service in Central Oregon. So we did our best to keep, keep afloat. But ever since then, uh, people have retired, um, people have left the agency, and it's been hard to recruit. We have done two uh, rounds of negotiations to increase wages um, for our entire operational staff. Um, but we are struggling with what pretty much everyone nationwide is struggling with to get 
um, bodies into seats to drive those vehicles. I will say as a remedy, we are procuring non-CDL vehicles uh, and replacing them with CDL vehicles. They may be smaller, but individuals that just have a normal uh, class D license, just like you and I can go and provide that service. Um, I would say the other challenge that we're dealing with is kind of the ripple effect. When we don't have enough drivers, we have to reduce our frequency, okay? Because we just simply don't have enough bodies. And when you reduce the frequency of service, it becomes less attractive for people to take. Uh, and so that is my number one priority. I want someone to be able to go out on Third Street in Bend without a schedule and just say the bus is going to be here in 10 minutes. I'm not at that point simply because I just don't have enough personnel. That's when a vicious you, cycle. Yes. Now, would you say you have the funding? You just don't have the people to implement it? Yes. And then um, what I'll reiterate with the funding is we are a reimbursement agency. So we actually, even though there's funding out there at what I call the, the federal level or the state level, we actually don't get it unless we incur the cost and seek reimbursement. So yes, it's there, but we don't actually physically have it. It's we actually have to perform the service, have that reviewed, and then get reimbursed. Okay. And so, yes, there's funding available, but you're exactly right. We don't have the people to incur the cost to seek that reimbursement. So prior to jumping on this podcast with you, I, I took a glance at your uh, master plan created in 2020. Yep. And uh, that is not light reading. No, <laughs> that is a dead say. Maybe uh, I don't want to uh, have you deep dive in, into the whole thing, but if you could give me some kind of just give folks maybe a snapshot of what does the future or what can people expect from transit? I mean, we get people moving here from massive cities who are like, yeah, when is Portland light rail going to come to Bend and when are we going to? But I know your master plan goes to 2040. Maybe just give us as much as you can. What, what does it look like and what can people expect over the next couple of decades? Sure. Uh, so to highlight some of the big pieces of that plan, uh, one is uh, an advancement in technology. Okay, so we are a relatively young agency here in, it is still considered rural Oregon, right? Um, and so one of the projects that is actually still going underway, given these hiccups, is a brand new computer-aided dispatch um, and real-time information technology, right? So we are actually, as we speak, uh, the installers are at our yards where they're literally ripping out old wiring, putting in um, new infrastructure. And basically people like you and I can pick up that phone. We see the bus on the earth. We have an estimated time of arrival. Um, for our on-demand services, there's gonna be a function where you can reserve that ride uh, you no longer have to depend on a call center or calling in. So there's some technology advances that really allows us to bring the system up to modern times. So that's a big piece in the 2040 master plan. The other is um, our current kind of uh, service infrastructure here, particularly in Bend, we have what's called a hub and spoke system. Meaning wherever you live, you actually go into a central point, which requires you to transfer to go to another point. Um, there are some efficiencies in that, but we also know that transfers are a hindrance for choice riders. We want to make it one-stop you know, um, seat travel. And so we start talking about these concepts of mobility hubs, kind of these nodes 
that allow us to create more of a grid system so that people do not always have to transfer in somewhere. We're also working at, um, there's a term called interlining, uh, and this allows with uh, more resources where let's say you live in uh, Madras and you want to get to Bend. Right. We're interlining services so you never have to get off the bus. You just have that one seat ride. Again, you gain confidence in the system, et cetera. Um, and then what I will also tell you um, the plan talks about really is um, kind of our partnerships with other providers and other modes of transit to really reduce that first last mile boundary, right? So a lot of people are like, I, I mean, it'll take me, you know, 15 minutes just to walk to the bus stop, right? So we were looking at that plan strategically is how can we make transit more attractive um, and make it an actual choice on the same level as a private automobile? So that's what the plan speaks about as well. Great. Just, um, you know, knowing what you said about the staffing, I know um, that one of the goals was to increase service in Bend in 2021. Did that play out? And where are the new routes that people in Bend might see? Right. So unfortunately, um, we have the vehicles. We have the service planning. We have the schedules. It's all programmed. We just need the human body to drive that bus, right? So really, in 2021, it was managing the fires of COVID and ensuring that we can maintain just our basic level. Um, but I will say the four areas um, that are going to be hitting bend as soon as we can recruit more drivers is Route 8 in the northeast towards uh, Pine Nursery Park, Route 9, which is the southeast in that brand new area of 15th and Knot with the high schools in Alpengo Park and the new developments, and then increased frequently on 3rd Street and increased frequency on the Newport Greenwood. Um, and so adding buses to that corridor line, again, goes back to my hope that you could just step out on 3rd Street. You don't have to look at a schedule because you know a bus is going to be here in 10, 15 minutes. So like I said, um, the table is set. We got the forks and the knives. We're just waiting for that meal and that meal is a human being. So um, we're offering some incentive programs and referral programs. So we're actually focusing on the workforce side to really do better recruitment and, and getting people to, to drive for us. Got it. Andrea, you were you were talking a little bit about the connectivity to outlying communities like Prineville, and, and certainly no, nobody is unaware of the enormous uh, flow of humans back and forth from Redmond, and it's increasing all the time. In your master plan to 2040, how aggressive is COIC about getting more transit to that to to the redmond area absolutely and so um i will mention actually that really our central hub for all operations and fleet is in redmond given yeah. its location central oregon um, the plan actually gets pretty specific on all of our community connector routes um, particularly with redmond um, again the vehicles have been ordered uh, and the schedules are set what we're trying to do is really mimic kind of a, a commuter uh, timeline so that you have options at four, five o'clock, five thirty, six o'clock. Let's say if you work in Bend and you live in Redmond, that way we are attracting people that may say, you know what, the bus schedule doesn't meet my needs. We're adding frequency uh, to the areas where we know a lot of people are getting off their shifts at work. So that is set the stage there as well. Just um, waiting for more drivers. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that sounds like the biggest hangup. Um, you mentioned, you know, talking about that last mile travel, um, you know, the the place where someone's going to walk or maybe bike to um, to the bus. So just, you know, give people a little lay of the land and how CET works with other partners to, you know, foster more pedestrian and bike um, infrastructure. Absolutely. So, I mean, outside of our normal, you know, operations meetings and, and service planning, there's a whole branch of us that really work with the city of Bend, let's say the Bend MPO, let's say commute options. Uh, right now with the e-bike program, Bird, we're actually already communicating with them. So we understand our system will only work if there's other options available. Um, and so there's partnerships in terms of exchange for funding, um, in terms of service planning. Uh, to give you an idea, every time one of these, you know, uh, multi-use um, master plans take place in the city of Bend, we say, can we put a bus stop here? Can we do a pullout? Can we add some lighting, maybe some shelter, make it a sense of place so that transportation, whether it's us, bike share, walking pedestrian is never an afterthought to that development. Um, so those are some of the areas that we're working with. We also have uh, pass through agreements with commute options. So let's say, um, for example, Prasada Resort out of Prineville, uh, it does not make sense for us to provide transit there. A, we just don't have the drivers. B, the ridership would be too low. So we pass through funds to commute options to create a van pool, an employer van pool program that really speaks to the needs of Prasada Resort. Um, and so those are examples of where we will work strategically. If it doesn't make sense for transit, maybe there's another entity that does. Yeah. Like something like the, I was thinking about, I'm probably going to goof the name. Is it the safe streets network? Um, how does, you know, what, can you give an example of how you might've worked with that program? Um, or what yeah. that looked like for you all? So I think there's two programs, Nicole, that you're touching upon. One is the safe routes to school. Uh, and that is actually operated through commute options. Um, that is ensuring that essentially the walkable and bikeable network uh, to get to a school is available. We, and we partner with them all the time when it comes to that type of street network um, because it's important. We have to put a bus stop where you can access a bus stop, right? So the sidewalk infrastructure that we can't pay for because we're a transit agency is important to, to partner with the city or commute options on those programs. The other piece that the city um, is, is really attentive to is called the low stress network. That's right, yeah, I knew I goofed it. No worries. And that <laughs> refers to basically if, if, I am, if I am new to the world of biking or walking, what type of environment do I wanna see? So it creates a, a low stress environment for me to get to. And again, that equates to getting to our bus stops. It's also important in the ADA community. If we put a bus stop, kind of on the side of dirt that makes it hard for someone, let's say in a wheelchair to get to, then that bus stop is kind of pointless, right? So when you plan, let's say a new ADA compliant sidewalk, can we bridge a new bus stop next to it? And so that's all of the partnerships, mainly also just for efficiency. We'd hate to see something built. And then two years later, they're like, oh, what about a bus stop now? let's make it part of the original design and let's make it part of the original construction project. And that way also aesthetically, it looks like it should have always been there. So does your staff, like, you know, do they beta test this stuff? Do you know, would you go ride that route and then go ride the, 
you know, ride the bike route that is attached to it and just see how it all, you know, flows for somebody or what is the yeah. sort of testing for, for that? Absolutely. So at its core and it's, you know, kind of down and dirty um, testing is we have our uh, driver supervisors physically go out there with the biggest bus possible. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're checking turning radiuses. We're checking when we drop down the wheelchair lift, is it hitting the curb correctly? Um, timing, um, what's the roundabout look like? So all of that testing is always taking place um, as ideas from the planning side start to come to fruition. Um, part of my job as the director, making sure planning is talking to operations and vice versa. Um, and you know, I, I'm the one that's going to hold those hands and make those two work together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the service planning side of the house, um, and I speak as though we have a giant department. It's really it's just a few of us, and we kind of do everything. Um, but you know, to give you an example of one of the more recent requests is Meta, formerly Facebook, out there in Primeville wants to see if a bus stop's possible, right? Brand new employment center. So we've got an individual that's talking to HR, talking to personnel, see where people live. And then my ops supervisor is gonna come out there and test, okay, what makes sense? Can we get onto the road safely? Um, And it is always a compromise because that's the, the nature of the operations. So is that something that's actually underway? Like, do they have their own um, commute bus now? Yeah, so we're making it, we're trying to see if it makes sense in terms of a pilot for what's called Route 26, Redmond to Prineville. Mm. Um, And so what we don't want to do in terms of efficiency is go too far into the campus itself, because then we reduce the time uh, all the others are sitting on the bus. So again, finding that compromise of where can we drop people off safely but not spend 10 minutes inside an employer's campus uh, getting in and out. Mm-hmm. So, and we also, from the perspective of those in the bus, um, you know, you want to make that route as efficient as possible. You know, you want that choice rider to want to stay on that bus and not go, now we have to travel through, you know, the meta campus for 20 minutes. Yeah. So it's, it's all about making sure all populations are served. Nobody wants a tour of the Facebook parking lot. Correct. (laughs) Yeah, only once. Only once. Uh, Andrea, one of your more popular uh, partnerships is the Mount Bachelor shuttle. Yes. And how many people are using that? And and given the, um, you know, the the with the growing population and the increased traffic on that road, where do you see the future of that looking like? Absolutely. So just a few few things regarding Mount Bachelor. We have a great partnership with them. Um, we transport all of their employees up to the mountain, those who choose to take it, for they can take it for free. And that helps reduce parking congestion, obviously, up at the resort. Um, the second thing is we are constantly, come in the next two to three months, we will be reaching out to the hotels, the tourment industry. Anytime people come from outside the area that want to ski, we go, here's a great way to get up to the mountain safely. Uh, you don't have to worry about putting chains on your cars. You know, these are the vehicles that can get you up there. So there's always an outreach effort. I'm also working with the director of HR at Mount Bachelor to see if there's incentive programs where their workforce and our workforce can work together uh, to create benefits. Uh, a benefit of driving Mount Bachelor is you get to ski for free, which is, <laughs> I, we try to promote that left and right. So we do get some folks that are actually would love to drive for us. Um, I will say we continually work with them in terms of we actually just applied for a federal grant to replace six buses um, because those get quite some wear and tear. Um, so I know there's efforts 
um, to try to get as many people to take that bus as possible. I will say um, that is the only way I get up to the ski mountain is to take that shuttle. You know, even during COVID, we had between, you know, four and 5,000 rides per month on oh, wow. that service. Um, we'd like it a little higher. We'd like it to be pre-pandemic, but I think we're going to get there um, as a lot of, let's say, a parent drops their 17-year-old snowboarder off at the park and ride. They know that their child is going to get there safely. A lot of kids don't even have access to vehicles. So um, we think there's... A, a lot more room for growth, but, but we are happy with, I mean, it's seven days a week, Christmas day, New Year's day. It is a heavy service that serves a lot of people. Is this me dreaming or was, did they, did they start stopping at Meisner and um, other snow parks as well? We did in the past. I will say this. Um, we stopped serving that particularly during COVID but really the reason is it's a very difficult ingress and egress out of those less maintained snow parks for our buses. Whereas Mount Baxter, it's coned off. We've got mm -hmm. some partnerships flagging around. Uh, so from a safety perspective, we're not quite there yet with the snow parks. We would love to, but we also don't want people standing on the highway trying mm -hmm. to flag the bus down because there's no actual infrastructure at those sites yet. Mm -hmm. So assuming the population growth of this area if we can get some more infrastructure at the snow parks, we, we definitely will have room to stop there. So would the dream be like there would be a place right off the highway that would be easy to pull off and maybe like a shelter sort of thing? Yes. Like and I will say it is tough. It is a uh, forest land. Um, and mm -hmm. so uh, the acronym that you may be aware of is the NEPA process. And yeah. then you're you're digging up land from, you know, the, the state or federal uh, forest. So that could that's always a bit of a barrier for a very small agency like ourselves. Got it. Well, I'm also curious about another popular route, the airport. Yes. Um, what's going on at the airport? Do, is there any service available there? At, um, and, you know, where does it go? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this was also, Erin mentioned, in our master plan. And I would say it's, it's definitely a dream of mine. Uh, there are some small private providers that we work with. We make sure that they have a place to queue at some of our stations, access to restrooms. Um, so we're fully transparent in some of the smaller providers um, that will travel to the airport. Um, my goal is to increase frequency on Route 24. That's been to Redmond with stops to the airport. Um, obviously you can imagine as we're having trouble with our normal services and we risk denying rides on the medical side, it's important that we meet those needs first before we go into some of the more, uh, creative, uh, higher income demographic, uh, travel. I will say as soon as I feel like we're comfortable with our driving workforce, that Redmond to Bend connection is the big one, as well as the additional services in Bend. Got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got to believe that that airport connection would be, you would get a lot of reimbursements. I will say that there's going to be a ton of people taking that bus. Yeah. And the, the airport, the way the Redmond airport works is a, is a bit odd. You know, we, we had that master plan really take a deep dive into us. I mean, the majority of the departures are like from 4.45 AM to eight. And so it, it's really hard to mimic a public transit route after really the demand of, of what that airport is. So there's also just some kind of nitty gritty planning that really needs to be involved. So we're optimizing the service as best we can. That's a good point. I know it, 
It's it's quite the complaint. Uh, if you've got to fly east, that you're definitely getting up at three thirty. You know. Right. Yeah, and also it's not the most attractive driver shift. Um, so <laughs> it would be what we call split shift, meaning we would have you know uh, routes dedicated for four to five hours in the morning, probably little to no runs mid afternoon, and then picking up again eight nine o'clock as they're coming back in. Right. Um, and then again, trying to find people that are willing to take those shifts is another uh, hurdle of ours. Yeah. I mean, just anecdotally, having tried to get a cab from the airport to Bend last week was really tough and took a long time and was really expensive and was not ideal. Um, just I will like say, um, and I know it seems odd, but I, I'll put this plug in. Um, the airport is within our Redmond dial-a-ride system. So any citizen that lives in Redmond can get a free ride from their home to the airport. They don't need to be eligible for anything. We will drop them right off at the airport. Uh, they just yeah. have to reserve it. So, you know, you used to call in the call center, you put in your address and, and you reserve it. So that is available for Redmond residents as that is a Redmond dial-a-ride service. Is everything in Redmond dial-a-ride? So there, are there no fixed routes? Yeah, so Redmond, um, again, a part of our master plan is uh, we're going to be trying to introduce uh, flex deviated service in Redmond. It's kind of the baby step before fixed route. Okay. Um, so those service routes are planned. Um, but yeah, all of the small communities, sisters, Madras, Prineville, Lapine, Redmond, they all have what we call rural dial -a ride Anybody's eligible. Mm -hmm. It is a free service at this point in time. You just call, you call the call center, you reserve a ride. Uh, and a driver will pick you up. Boy, I can imagine if that became really popular, that would be a <clears throat> situation for you to deal with, Andrea. With yeah, the and I will say I'm, I'm familiar with the Redmond Dial-A-Ride crowd, mm -hmm. so to speak. And, you know, there's there's like, let's say three individuals that that's how they get to their work at Fred Meyer four days a yeah. week. There's the person that goes to Walmart, you know, twice a week. So it, there are people that truly depend on that service either for getting to work or that's how they get the groceries. So, mm -hmm. how have gas prices impacted um, your operations? I will say the pro is we are seeing an increase in ridership. Right? We are, <laughs> yeah. We are, all of our non-recreational services are free. You can hop on any bus here in Bend, and doesn't cost you a dime. You don't have to do anything with fare. Um, I will say, in terms of our operating cost per hour, so that's something that we monitor uh, in our monthly budgeting. Um, definitely has increased. Uh, actually not so much for fuel, but our driver wages. So that's where we saw, mm -hmm. you know, let's say for dial ride operations, you're looking at previously, you'd be looking at $38, $40 a ride subsidized by the government. Now maybe in the high fifties or sixties based on wages and fuel. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, I know this is really, really far out, but are there, you know, when you dream about like the types of vehicles that you have in your system, do you ever think about other things besides buses? Yeah. You know, what is, would there ever, you know, be a train between Bend and Redmond or something of that nature? Yeah. So to kind of your first part of that question, we've actually, um, I would say that's my biggest shift coming on as the director um, that I've shaken the boots of some of our procurement people and people that are used to getting the same bus year after year after year. Um, so one area that we were looking at is, is really our dial ride operations where we can, there's some, some cool opportunities there. I don't know if you've seen it on the road. We now have Ford Transit Connects. They're kind of dark gray. 
Um, it doesn't look like an ADA vehicle. It looks like a hip new vehicle that anybody, a Bendite would purchase, right? Um, they're fully wheelchair lift. They've got all of the bells and whistles inside for our ADA compliance, but the exterior mimics your passenger vehicle. It's easier to drive. Uh, you don't need a CDL. Uh, the drivers love it. Everything's brand new. Also, that model uh, is looking at full electric. So that's something also we're looking at. So there's actual, you know, the specifications of our bus procurement is changing. Um, and then in terms of, Nicole, what you said later, kind of, is there a possibility of moving away just from bus? I will say the next step um, that is actually written into the Bend Transportation System Plan, as well as ours, is high capacity uh, transit corridors. Okay, so you're, you're just your rapid transit uh, buses, which is kind of your baby step to bus rapid transit. Okay, and that's, that could either be a dedicated lane or a semi-dedicated lane um, for shuttle operations. Um, I will say this, in terms of rail, um, the BSNF that comes in through this area, that is um, an extremely complex world that um, our uh, funding doesn't even brush the surface of, of <laughs> what that type of right away in Edmund domain um, requires. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'd love to be a dreamer. I'm originally from the New York, New Jersey area where we just lived and breathed on trains and subways. Um, I would say I do see movement in the Portland over Mount Hood uh, area as they're realizing that just absolute congestion. Yeah. Um, they don't want to destroy the nature of Mount Hood and all of its surrounding area. So I, there is a lot of movement much more um, idealistically in that direction. And I am part of those conversations. It's, it's called a vision around the mountain. Oh, um, cool. and, I haven't heard of that. Yep. Everything from, can we throw light rail? You know, can we build a, a mobility hub on the side of Timberline Lodge so that, you know, people can uh, park here and then the network of, of other, you know, modes of transit go out. So it's very, um, very exciting to see what they're doing. I mean, it's my understanding they don't go on the heavy rails anyway. Things like that, you have to build a dedicated light track, light rail track for those type of things. Am I wrong about that? Yeah, and so light rail is you know your current your pavement system, and then you'd be putting in tracks uh, and then your overhead um, wiring. So, you know, just to kind of give you um, our revenue budget, meaning what we can get reimbursed for um, on any given years between fifteen and eighteen million. Um, for the entire spectrum of services. When you start talking light rail and hard rail, you're now getting into the 50 to 100 million capital um, world. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Well, there needs to be a lot more people here, I guess, before you're getting those kind of reimbursements. <laughs> yes. And also, you know, formula funding is based on the census. Um, you know, I think once if and when Ben hits 200K in terms of population, then transportation it is allowed new funds of, uh, pots of funds. And so I think that's where you'll see some more heavy capital investment come that way, but we're still in the under 100K population world. Mm -hmm. I mean, then, you know, but you look at how much is being spent on the Highway 97 redo, Yep. Um, you know, that, and that price tag, Makes, yes. seems like it makes light rail, you know, comparable. Yep. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, 
you know, there's some uh, creative thinking there. Even when we were doing the master plan process and we did our public engagement, you know, they would tell me you're too short-sighted, think light rail, you know? Um, and, and realistically, those plans are resigned every five years because it really does link back to the funding that we can mm -hmm. ask for. So that plan was technically done in 2019 and I'm probably in two more years, we'll be redoing it to really mm -hmm. think the advancements of, of transportation technology. So yeah, look out for that one. <laughs> yeah, well, Not to get too crazy, but self-driving vehicles and, and linked vehicles on, on roadways. I mean, by the time 2040 comes, I would think that should be well within your planning process by before. Yeah, absolutely. And so I would say kind of agencies are twofold right now in terms of the future of transportation. One is alternative fuels, right? Yeah. So we're looking at electrification, propane, renewable natural gas, and compressed natural gas. Um, from us, it's important that we operate every day at five something in the morning. And these new technologies can uh, scare some of us operators. Mm -hmm. So we're just doing a lot of research before we make our first real capital purchase. Sure. Um, so that's kind of the first wave that we that we'll be tackling and the second the autonomous side we understand that the the research and the the funding and the analysis is really going into long-haul trucking right which right. is great because they almost you know a 15-foot transit vehicle can mimic you know a small truck in that way so we're monitoring that side of the house um you know we probably let's say it is 2050 2060 you know, you can envision, let's say, an operator that may not be physically operating the vehicle, but is still in the seat monitoring um, what is going on behind the wheel. Um, and so I know just on the side, kind of in my own personal life, uh, you're reading up on this and seeing where the direction is going. Sure. Awesome. You're going to start, we're gonna all going to be riding, driving in Teslas. You're going to be purchasing a fleet of Teslas any day That's now. Right. <laughs> So just to give you an idea um, of costs, um, let's say we have, we uh, procure a, a company called Gillig and that's your kind of uh, transit bus that doesn't look like it has a nose, kind of just like a rectangle. Um, Non-electric, you're looking at a half a million to procure and build one of those in California. Electric, double that price. You're looking at 1.2 million. Um, and so also from a taxpayer agency, we want to be mindful that, I mean, that cuts our fleet in half in terms of our purchasing power. Mm -hmm. So we are waiting for some of those more kinks to be worked out. It's not so much actually the bus manufacturing side, it's the charging infrastructure and software side that needs to catch up. Because mm -hmm. if you can't charge the bus, then you can't leave the, the yard. So that's another area we're watching intently. Great. Excellent. Well, Andrea, we want to just thank you so much for joining us today. Um, did we miss anything that you want to add before we wrap up? I will say if anybody out there who's listening, who's interested in great government benefits, vision, dental health and retirement, uh, we, play, we pay great benefits and we're looking for a plethora of drivers from on-call, part-time, full-time, non-CDL and CDL. We'd love to have you. Great. Well, thanks so much. All right. Thank you guys. Thank you for having me. Thanks for Have your a time. Wonderful day. Bye.